June 7th. And now we turn our attention to the reading today of the New Testament, where we'll read about pretending. Barnabas had a gift, and it exposed the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, just as Mary's gift exposed Judas's sin. The couple lied to the Spirit, to the church, and to Peter, and it cost them their lives. Their sin was not in taking money from God, but in pretending to be something they were not. And then we'll read about obeying. Dealing with sin in the church often results in new power for the church. Can you imagine a church so spiritual that people were afraid to join with them? Even Peter's shadow had power. It was F.W. Borum who wrote, We make our decisions, and then our decisions turn around and make us. And then we'll learn about those who oppose. Because the Sadducees could not tolerate evidences of resurrection power, they arrested the apostles again and told them to be quiet. Well, we ought to obey God rather than men, is their response. It's the only position to hold when you have the Word of God on your side. Be sure it's conviction and not just opinion. And we'll learn about hesitating. Gamaliel advised neutrality, which means avoiding the truth and letting Satan move in. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. June 7th, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 42. There was also a man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed it was the full amount. His wife had agreed to this deception. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this, conspiring together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and all others who heard what had happened. Meanwhile, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. No one else dared to join them though everyone had high regard for them. And more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow 
might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came in from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his friends, who were Sadducees, reacted with violent jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So the apostles entered the temple about daybreak and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, along with all the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was locked, with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with the news that the men they had jailed were out in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested them, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would kill them if they treated the apostles roughly. Then they brought the apostles in before the council. "'Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name?' the high priest demanded. "'Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about Jesus, and you intend to blame us for his death.' But Peter and the apostles replied, "'We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by crucifying him.' Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this to give the people of Israel an opportunity to turn from their sins and turn to God so their sins would be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. At this the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member had a different perspective. He was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert on religious law and was very popular with the people. He stood up and ordered that the apostles be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he addressed his colleagues as follows. Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theudas, who pretended to be someone great. About four hundred others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got some people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. If they are teaching and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them." You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The council accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and in their homes, they continued to teach and preach this message. The Messiah you are looking for 
is Jesus. Remember the day before I came in, um, I didn't know if I wanted to or not, and I wasn't much of a prayer, but I was praying to God, and I said, uh, God, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, I don't know what you want me to do, but if this is your will for me, then I'll do it, I'll do whatever you want, but I can't do it on my own, so whatever you want me to do, I just speak to me, give me a sign, you know. And this was, in, this was in my head, I didn't say any of this out loud, right? So I go to sleep, I wake up the next morning, and my little brother walks up to me and he says, unprompted, he says, Richard, do you know how the strongest buildings in the world are made? I said, no. He said, you have to start at the bottom. So that was God literally answering a prayer. He used my little brother as a vessel to answer my prayer, and I know, I know for a fact it was him. Jesus wants us when we're broken and we're at the end of our rope. That's why we're here, because we couldn't do it on our own, and we're finally ready to take his hand and walk this thing out. It's not about us, it's about glorifying him and love. Alright, I'm here with Richard Chamberlain. It's about to complete on June 8th with myself. I've had the privilege of walking throughout the last 13 months with Richard. Richard, do uh, you have something you'd like to say to the guys down at the farm right now? Yeah, uh, you know, I was sitting in your guys' shoes 13 months ago, sitting there thinking this is crazy and it doesn't seem possible, um, and 13 months is a really long time, and it is, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't a long time. I spent the better part of 10 years uh, trying to do things my way and it didn't work, and I finally got to the end of, my, end of my rope and I knew I had to submit and try something else, so I gave it all to God, and... 13 months compared to 10 years of me trying to do things my way and then eternity in the grand scheme of things really isn't that long of a time. So if it seems impossible, it's not. You just, you gotta, you gotta stay focused on God and He will help you through it. Not every day is going to be easy or perfect, but you guys can do it. And I'm looking forward to coming down there and seeing you guys tomorrow. You guys just keep it up and we're all glad that you're in here. We'll be praying for you. Love you guys. I know that you've got some encouraging Bible verses for these brothers, don't you? Yeah, one of my favorites is Proverbs 3, 5-6. to It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. To me, that means if you don't know what to do in a situation, not to sound generic, but pray on it and talk to God about it. He'll speak to you through someone else's situation so you'll have a place where you can help someone out with their problem by looking inward on your problem, whatever it might be. So your brothers are here to help encourage you and lift you up. Richard, I remember sitting with you in the front row of Veritas almost 13 months ago when I've struggled to see how God's working in me. I've had the privilege and the ability to see God actively working in you and it's been a pleasure to walk to grow and to be able to lean on each other at every opportunity we have. I love you, buddy, and it's been a pleasure. I love you too, bro. We're reading from Psalm 125, verses 1 through 5. You know, trusting the Lord means security and stability. Built on Mount Zion and surrounded by the mountains, Jerusalem was an impregnable fortress. The pilgrims felt safe when they arrived there after their dangerous journey. As a citizen of the heavenly Zion, 
you are safe in the Lord's care. Trusting the Lord also means sovereignty, bowing down to the God who holds the righteous scepter. Wickedness in our world is a temptation even to the righteous, as we'll read, so keep submitted to Him. And sanctity is a third result of trusting the Lord. When you walk by faith, you avoid the dangerous detours that lead you away from the path of righteousness. God has made you safe so that you might be submitted, and your submission should lead to separated living. As it says in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 20, faith without works is dead. Psalm 125, verses 1 through 5, a song for the ascent to Jerusalem. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround and protect Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds and protects His people, both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the godly, for then the godly might be forced to do wrong. O Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with You. But banish those who turn to crooked ways, O Lord. Take them away with those who do evil, and let Israel have quietness and peace. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death.